The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. Welcome back from the break. I don't think I'm going to use up all the time tonight, so you can either go home early at the end or we might have some time for discussion. Just open. But it's really um, a pleasure and a privilege to have an opportunity to be up here tonight and to share um, to share about a topic that's really um, dear to my heart and has been for a long time. The title of my talk is Now is the Time to Engage. And I want to start with the words of the Buddha, a passage called The Five Remembrances, or sometimes The Five Recollections. I am of the nature to grow old. I cannot escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. I cannot escape having ill health. I am of the nature to die. I cannot escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature of change. I cannot escape being separated from them. My deeds are my closest companions. I am the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. My deeds are my closest companions. I am the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. Yesterday was Memorial Day. Memorial Day was first called Decoration Day and first created in 1868. Communities across the north and south of this country had been marking their own decoration days for a few years at that time. And these were days when they closed the shops and people didn't work and they went to the graves of their own fallen loved ones to bring flowers and visit, to decorate the graves. A leader of a union veterans organization noticed that this was cropping up all over the North and the South and proposed that these efforts be gathered into a single tribute so that the nation could come together around an annual commemoration of the more than 600,000 soldiers who had died for the Union and the Confederacy. For decades, southern states refused to participate in a commemoration of the Union dead, and so they did not mark Decoration Day but they had their own decoration days that focused on the Confederate fallen in their local communities. It wasn't until after the shared carnage of World War I 
that this became a truly national day of remembrance to honor fallen soldiers in all of America's wars. And it wasn't until this month that Governor McAuliffe granted funding to try and preserve historic African-American cemeteries long neglected by the state. The state of Virginia has long funded efforts to preserve Confederate cemeteries, but not African-American cemeteries. And of course, black cemeteries are places where the dead include those who helped build and those who died for this country. This is my third talk for IMCC. And although I promise that I think about more than this in my life, maybe it's just timing, I think that when the senior teachers ask me if I can teach right after Memorial Day, I just can't say no. Um, so all of my talks so far have touched on the theme of war and peace. Over the years, the IMCC community has supported me in so many ways more than any other community I've ever been a part of. This Sangha is really a gem. And the support includes endless understanding that I will be absent on Tuesday nights because of my kid, because I'm too tired. I often think of how IMCC friends showed up for me when my younger brother Todd was killed in Afghanistan in 2010. At that time, I was pretty new to Charlottesville, and I didn't have very much community. But my teachers and my spiritual friends came to my one-bedroom Belmont apartment and climbed the death trap, rickety, falling apart stairs up to this like grad student apartment. And they brought me tea and soup and candles and just their willingness to sit with me and to hear my brother's name. Todd. And really, um, that, that generosity helped me more than anything else to get through that time. Four years later, IMCC gave me an opportunity to sit up here for the first time on the day after Memorial Day. And later, I gave a talk on Veterans Day. In those talks, I encouraged us to use these holidays, these days set apart from others, to fully face and feel the ongoing realities of these wars, to see the fuller catastrophe of war, and at the same time, to water the seeds of courage and sacrifice that are in us also, that inspire and sustain us. Tonight, I want to encourage us to begin to step beyond inner contemplation and to consider how we can enliven and deepen our spiritual practice by taking it off the cushion and into the world of social engagement. We are well positioned to do this work even if we hesitate. As meditators, we have all the tools that we need to approach the challenges in our communities with an understanding that they will be messy, they will be constantly changing, 
They will be not only difficult to solve, but they may be generational in their impacts, in their persistence. And they may be full of contradictions. We know how to work with that kind of stuff. We know that however difficult, we can keep practicing. We can keep learning. We can keep opening our hearts. In meditation practice on the cushion, we begin to see how intricate, nuanced, complex, and ever-changing our inner realities are. We begin to allow the full experience to unfold moment to moment, grounded in reality. What would it mean to apply an equal level of attentiveness, patience, openness, and perseverance to our work for justice and peace out there? We need to practice bearing witness not just to suffering as a universal human experience that we can tend to in our metta practice, but to the particular forms of suffering that are emergent right now in this community and to the interrelationship among these different forms of suffering. By observing social reality with the same concentration, the same equanimity and compassion that we learn to bring to our inner reality, we can begin to understand the layers of challenge and opportunity and sense into the particular work that we are called to do at this time in this place. For me, engaged practice is the whole of the spiritual path. I sit on the cushion every day so that I can embrace with more energy and clarity the challenges in my family and the challenges in my communities. Whatever issue we are drawn to focus on, once we are in the work of trying to make a difference alongside other human beings, we have to be prepared for challenges. Just like when we practice meditation, we recognize that we will be visited by hindrances. There isn't a way around this. On the socially engaged path, we will probably at times experience states that we would rather avoid, like confusion, compulsiveness, striving, self-righteousness, fear, regret, wholesome intentions that fall short or are misunderstood or have unintended negative impacts, interpersonal conflicts, anxiety, even despair. But it's still worth doing. So how can we prepare ourselves to greet these visitors as teachers who might help us discern what to let go of and what to shore up? 
Let me tell you a story about my evolving relationship with the American flag, which is one of my teachers. I was raised in a military family in a subculture that sociologists call the religion of the state. So I was taught to salute the flag at dusk every day, um, to pledge allegiance every morning. And I was taught something about how it represents sacrifice. I knew that it represented sacrifice not because this concept had been handed to me like a Hallmark greeting card, but because I noticed that people actually wanted to defend it and that they actually became angry or very sad if anything happened to the flag that they felt was disrespectful. I grew up this way, but I also asked questions from a young age. I remember being about nine years old and asking, why do we honor the flag, but not always the parts of the nation that it is meant to represent, like the rivers and the forests and the poor kids? And I learned pretty quickly that this was a controversial question. <laughs> I came of age politically right before September 11th, and that was the event that formed in my brother Todd his intention to join the military and defend his country. For my part, I was attracted to the resistance to war, and I was disturbed by the ubiquity of American flags unfurling as the drums beat for war. I remember when the towers fell, I prayed that people would slow down enough to feel their grief fully, to help each other do that. And I prayed that men would not skip over their pain and leap into fighting. Before we laid Todd to rest in Arlington National Cemetery, the women in the family chose to view his body. He had stepped on an IED, and we knew, we, we knew that he would be incomplete. But his sisters and his widow and his mother decided that we needed to nonetheless see what was there to be seen and to bear witness. Later, as we sat by his coffin at the cemetery, and I watched the transfer of flag ceremony from the coffin to the arms of his widow, I realized that my relationship with the American flag would forever be different. Somehow the flag made sense to me now after it had been draped over his coffin. For the first time in years, I found that I could authentically hold my hand over my heart during the singing of the national anthem and touch into my heartbreak at the loss of my own hero and to acknowledge that this experience is shared by thousands across generations. A few years after my brother died, at that time, an important part of my practice, my meditation practice, and my activist practice was to listen to people of color who were calling me out or who might be espousing tactics or using language that I found uncomfortable or upsetting. Um, I began to not um, try to engage in debate, 
but to recognize that it was my role to, to listen and to notice what came up for me and to hold enough space to kind of work through that and learn from it. I would do my best to stay quiet and observe the external and internal realities. What am I being told? What am I feeling in the wake of that? What happens if I hold space long enough for the reactivity to quiet down and the feelings to change and pass? And I know many of you are part of our white awake groups, small groups of spiritual friends who meet regularly to talk about racial justice from the perspective of white people. And so you will be familiar with that kind of work. It was in the context of this very deliberate practice that I chose to observe a small group of just about three or four activists of color who had announced that they would go to the free speech wall in downtown Charlottesville on Memorial Day for the purpose of burning an American flag. And they communicated in advance about their intention to burn the flag to convey their considerable distress about uh, state-sanctioned racial violence at home and abroad. And I also felt this distress. But I was almost surprised because I so felt that distress that on the day leading up to this action, I was actually very um, upset about the prospect of the flag being burned on Memorial Day. It was very difficult for me. But I still wanted to bear witness and to learn from the experience. So I stood at a distance by the pavilion and watched them at the free speech wall. I observed what I imagined was some nervousness as they prepared to begin. It's not actually easy to light an American flag on fire because it's made to resist. It's made with lots of flame retardants. But I watched it happen. And then I saw what seemed to be a sense of catharsis for them um, in having been able to achieve this act of making their distress visible. I observed many different feelings within myself, and I held space for my feelings to change and pass on. And in a way, what was more, what has stayed with me is not any particular thing I felt or any particular insight that I had, but just the experience of how it did settle down that I, did, I was able to hold enough space for it to all pass through. I emerged from that experience with a new understanding of what the American flag is for me. The symbol points me to suffering, to particular forms of suffering. The suffering of war, the suffering of traumatic loss, the suffering of oppression, the suffering of erasure. I asked myself, what is the difference between a flag being flown or folded from a coffin or set on fire? Who is suffering now and how? Who is most at risk? Who is in plain view? Who is far from sight? What are their needs? Let us move from the American flag 
to another iconic cultural symbol. Consider Charlottesville in the spring of 2017, when the statue of General Robert E. Lee in the heart of the city is slated for removal from public land. Our community has become a lightning rod for attention from white supremacists. And as I'm sure most of you know, we made national news recently when several of them, some local and many from out of our community, gathered to light torches in front of the statue. The event evoked the look and feel of a Klan rally for many of us. Some dear friends of mine had converged the day before at Lee Park because they heard that a network of white supremacists, the same, some of the same people, were preparing to march past the Festival of Cultures, which is Charlottesville's annual celebration of its immigrant communities. So these friends showed up to immediately put their bodies on the line in defense of our community. And they were called unspeakable names. They were threatened. Some of them were roughed up a little bit. Some of my good friends are still being viciously cyberbullied and cyberstalked. As we saw in Portland this week, standing up to hate can be scary, ugly, dangerous, even deadly. If these tensions continue, and it appears that they will, we will all have our opportunities to stand up. And we will all have moments when we want to turn away and to throw up our hands. Here is one of the ways we sometimes give up. As spiritual people, we can feel a sense of moral superiority that leads us to reject anything that feels contentious or that lacks a sense of harmony or doesn't measure up to our ideals of how social change should be created. I noticed this happening after the vigil that our community organized in response to the white supremacists rally. Some of the speakers that night spoke in ways that made it clear that white supremacists are not welcome in our community. The next day, I received messages from some friends of mine, deeply moral people, people of faith, who felt disturbed by this language of separation, this forming of an us versus a them. I found myself trying to listen to my friends and feeling a kinship with their spiritual convictions, feeling the same in that way. But I also found myself recognizing how the language at the rally had helped other family and friends of mine, and also myself as someone in an interracial family, had helped us feel more safe. That language had tapped into the warrior spirit, fanning the courage and the willingness to sacrifice that inspired people like my brother. In noticing the range of reactions around me, I felt a little bit split in two. And so I began to practice widening the space around these views, and I'm still doing that. 
allowing the messiness to be as it is, noticing what emerges, and discerning where I fit in. Can we welcome states like confusion, self-righteousness, or indignation as invitations to create more inner space for practicing awareness and discernment? When conflict erupts, there is the potential for many kinds of harm, physical harm, psychological harm, emotional and social harm, the harms that are created by the things people do, by the things they say, and the harms that are created when people at risk are not permitted to act or speak from their truths, or when people stay away and do not engage at all. And there are the underlying harms, the harms that were there before, the harms that were always present and may be more or less visible within the conflict. It's complex. So now I am asking myself, what does this statue really signify? Who is suffering and how? Who is at greatest risk of what kind of violence? Who is being seen and heard? Who is being ignored? What am I able to tolerate? What do I choose to confront? What are the range of options to try and contribute to justice and peace in this particular moment? Is there space for many responses? What is my role? If and when you find yourself contracting around confusion and dis-ease in the face of other people's choices, words, or notions about how to get free, then take space to see clearly what you are reacting to. Touch into your own interrelationship with what you are reacting to. Experience how your reactions feel and shift through the body. Experience how they eventually settle down. And once you are more clear, notice what's left. Take time to relocate the source of your own inner fire, your own inspiration, the place where you feel connected, and from there begin again to be as fully as you can in your own way of contributing. An engaged practice is messy. You will lose your way many times. Just as you do on the cushion, you can always begin again. Remember that we do not all have to engage in the same way. Pick the work that you can do. Identify your edge and push a little bit past it. Some of us will march. Some of us will directly confront. Some of us will get arrested. Some of us may get roughed up. Some of us will paint banners. Some of us will offer childcare. Some of us will hold space to listen, will make tea, will bring soup. Some of us will donate or raise funds. 
Some of us will sit down in dialogue with the other who is so unlike us, we think. And some of us will stand up, nonviolently but forcefully, using the language that we need to use to fiercely defend our neighbors. Some of us will learn more about our neighbors, will try and help them when they need it, will ask for help when we need it. All of us will be in this collective practice of trying to transform injustice, violence, hate, and harm into justice, peace, connection, and harmlessness. Learning from one another as we go. Don't expect it to be easy or harmonious. Allow it to be messy and conflicted. Pay attention, touch your own center, and keep practicing. Above all, don't wait for enlightenment. Don't wait until you know exactly what you have to give or that you are 100% in the right. You can both keep practicing and keep learning from your practice. You can screw up, learn, and begin again. Now is the time to simply step in with our eyes and hearts as open as is available to us right now. I think I told one of you that my talk might involve a challenge. Um, So in that spirit, I have an invitation to action and announcement to pass on to everyone. We've learned that a group of neo-Confederates will be holding a rally in Lee Park tomorrow at 10 a.m. to protest removal of the statue. Local activists have called for anti-racism activists to counter, to counter the pain and violence of revering Confederate lost cause idolatry. Lost cause idolatry means that these statues were put in place specifically to assert Jim Crow, to assert white supremacy. And so the pain of of simply revering that is present. So local activists are called um, to join this tomorrow and it will include the presence of local clergy, teachers from various denominations, various faiths, as well as activists who do not identify with any faith tradition who will be holding space together for this action. Um, Holding space to proclaim that black lives matter. We will congregate in Lee Park starting at 9 a.m. and remain until the Confederate presence has left the space. And I hope to see many of you there. I want to close with two quotes. The first is from President Barack Obama in a gracious letter that I received from the White House. I didn't recognize the package and almost recycled it without without opening it. (laughs) About a year before I received this surprise in the mail, I had impulsively sent a ranty email through whitehouse.gov in a moment when I felt overcome with despair and frustration about the killings of black people by police 
Um, and I never expected anyone really to read it, let alone to receive a letter back. Part of the letter reads, as Americans, we must never forget that our nation endures because it is home to patriots who laid down their lives for the land they loved. The struggles facing the African-American community are real, and your brother gave his last full measure of devotion to defend the freedom and security of every American, not just some. Know that I am committed to making our union worthy of the sacrifices made by heroes like Todd. And my final words tonight, an excerpt from one of my favorite songs by Sweet Honey and the Rock. That what touches me most is that I had a chance to work with people, passing on to others that which was passed on to me. No need to clutch for power, not needing the light just to shine on me. I need to be just one in the number as we stand against tyranny. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. I didn't leave you much time. <laughs> so thank you all. We have about five minutes in case anything needs to be spoken. But I just so appreciate this chance to share with you. Thank you all very much.